uh, yes, my name is Will. I am uh, part of ECC, one of the just associate pastor, uh, pastors there that also kind of do the executive functions. I'm really glad to be with you this afternoon. It's a pleasure. So if you have a Bible, if you would like, turn to 3 John. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. 3 John, verses 5 through 8. Let me read 3 John 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Pray with me one more time. Father in heaven, I pray that this morning, or this afternoon, you would bless your word, that it would go forth, that it would not return void, that you would help me as I preach. I pray that your word would be effective. Help us to see in your word how we are to support send to care for those whom you give us, these gospel workers that go from place to place who go out for the sake of the name. Teach us what we are to do and caring for these that go out. Help us be a church, Lord. Help new life to be a church that welcomes, sends, and supports workers like these. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the interests that I have is 19th century British naval history. So I've discovered this whole world of maritime warfare in the late 18th and 19th century in the books by Patrick O'Brien, who wrote over 20 novels of historical fiction about British naval warfare. So think tall ships, lots of sails, no electricity, right? This is before uh, any of that existed. They call it the Great Age of Sail. And I love how O'Brien, this author, captures the essence of what it meant to be an officer at that time. So before setting off on a cruise around the world in service to their country, a cruise that could last for years, uh, on a wooden boat, no electricity, like I said, with only the most rudimentary uh, tools for actually navigating around the world. Imagine being put on a ship like that, like a young midshipman, aged 12 to 16, and sailing around the world. Imagine what you would need. An officer or midshipman was required to furnish everything they needed for their journey. They had to spend a fortune on uh, a chest that they put all these tools, like a sextant, which measured the sun, and they had to buy uniforms, they had to buy special, you know, ceremonial things, and uh, the government didn't provide their equipment. Uh, often families would have to make significant financial sacrifices in order to make sure that the one being sent could do their job properly. And once sailed, there was no going back. There were no quick flights back home. You might perish at sea, or you could come home when the job was done. Well, friends, in a similar way, this is what it's like for these missionaries in the New Testament. Church planners, itinerant gospel workers, whatever you want to call those who go sent out to preach the good news of Jesus. 
Men and women throughout the ages are called to go, and they go through the necessary training, vetting, and Lord willing, the church commissions them to be sent out on a special assignment to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And no matter what gospel work, many have been sent out for the sake of the name, uh, that have been sent out for the sake of the name, they have been supported by loved ones who've shared with them all good things. People who are behind them in the work. People who unite with them for that single purpose of proclaiming the gospel. So typically missionaries, we don't have the background. I didn't have the background when I was going to Indonesia of a sovereign state who helped, you know, make sure that I had what I needed. It's rather the church, the body of Christ that has cared for, sent, and supported missionary endeavors throughout the ages. I mentioned my wife and I, we went to Indonesia when I was back in 2017, right after I graduated from uh, seminary in Bethlehem, and I was attending Bethlehem Baptist Church. We went uh, to go to Indonesia to help plant and pastor a church there in Batam. So friends, I want to help you see this morning that the work of raising up, sending, and supporting those who go out for the sake of the name is a work that is given to the church. And I pray that the Lord would cause you to rejoice and give you a resolve for this worthy work of partnering with those sent out, becoming fellow workers with them. I just heard this amazing short snippets of how you're going to have Moses, who's going to be coming in just a few days, right? On Thursday, September 14th. Um, I would love to come to the potluck, by the way. I may show up. So uh, that's one of those examples where you've partnered with a somebody, a fellow worker for the truth. So in our text this morning, in, or this afternoon, in 3 John, in the book of the Bible, in this letter, the apostle John writes to a man named Gaius, an elder in one of the local churches in the ancient world, and the apostle John has received a report from missionaries that they have visited Gaius's church, and those missionaries have been deeply blessed by Gaius and Gaius's church's care. And now those missionaries, they go to John's church, and they tell John, the apostle, hey, we've been loved and cared for by this church. They're blown away by this. And here's the thing, we don't know what kind of workers these brothers are in the text. Brothers, by the way, uh, can be both men and women. It's just a collective term, uh, meaning siblings, if you will. Brothers and sisters, you could read it that way. Um, they could have been missionaries. They could have been church planners. They could have been itinerant preachers in one sense. Uh, evangelists. We don't know exactly what it is they did. But the care they received from Gaius was so amazing that when John hears about it, he's overwhelmed with joy, and he rejoices. He says in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Gaius is one of those children, and he's a man who is committed to the truth. Throughout John's epistles, in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John is concerned with these new believers. He's concerned with these young churches that they be walking in the truth. 2nd uh, John 4 says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as they were commanded by the Father. So guys, is a man who not only believes this truth, he holds fast to it, he is acting in accord with this truth. His actions signify that he is living out his faith, and seeking to honor this truth 
John has seen Gaius' actions in caring for these brothers, and he commends him. In verse 5, John says that Gaius has done a faithful thing in all his works for these brothers. And so John commends Gaius for the very way in which he cared for these missionaries. He is demonstrating his continued walking in the truth. His faith worked. Now he's worked in air quotes. It's working. There's actions accompanying the faith that he testifies to. And in that, it's demonstrated to everyone who saw him. Gaius is an example that we should all be of someone who is caring for those who are gospel workers who come and need help. So in this way, Gaius shows hospitality to these missionaries, welcoming them into his church and caring for their needs. And this is my first point of three points on how we should participate in the Great Commission and how we should approach caring for and sending those out uh, who are going out for the sake of the name. So here are my three points up front. One, show hospitality, verse 5. Two, send in a manner worthy of God, verse 6. Three, support as a fellow worker. These are all just in the text. I'm going to show you in just a moment. But I'm going to uh, point out how do I get to show hospitality in the text, right? It doesn't say show hospitality. It just says, hey, we're thankful for all the works that you did for these people. Well, first, Gaius welcomed these brothers into the church. They're itinerant, at least. They're traveling from some unknown place. They're strangers, right? They make it to his church, and they're brought in. And the efforts or works done for these brothers, I think, refers to both physical and spiritual needs. It's not hard to imagine that traveling in the ancient world, this physically draining, expensive, taxing work of, of moving around, right, in the early, uh, the beginning of the um, first, second century, is just incredibly dangerous too. Gaius, as an elder of the church, probably took it upon himself to lead in welcoming those who were strangers. Uh, what did he do for them? Well, he could have, uh, let's see, he could have provided some food, can provide clothing, uh, certainly a safe place to stay. Um, he may have just given him a simple room for a few nights. Whatever it is, we don't really know. What we do know, it was exactly what they needed, it seems, because these brothers go and testify to John that they have had those needs met, that these works have truly blessed them. And also compare this to Diotrephes. So if you just go down to verse 9 and 10, there's this rascal in the church named Diotrephes who is putting himself first. He doesn't acknowledge John's authority as an apostle, and he refuses to welcome the brothers, these gospel workers. In fact, he's going to church members who want to welcome these missionaries, and he's saying, hey, you want to welcome these missionaries? You need to get out of here. And basically expelling these people from the truth, from from helping welcome these missionaries in. Diotrephes is a man who is not walking in the truth. And for whatever reason, he's taken upon himself to be inhospitable to these gospel workers. He's not welcoming them. He's making sure people in the church do not welcome them. And this is why John says in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. John is saying that the work Diotrephes is doing, in contrast from Gaius, is evil. He's not welcoming them in, 
and the people who want to support these gospel-working brothers, he's excommunicating from the church. Friends, we should likewise welcome brothers and sisters in our midst who are gospel workers, who love walking in the truth. And this assumes, by the way, that those who come and say, hey, I'm a gospel worker, I'm one who's sent out, this assumes that we can truly call them brother, right? After living in Indonesia for some time, I was really only 18 months. I've lived here another 18 months. But even in those short times, I've come across numerous instances where I've met people who say, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. We're on the same team. They claim the same confession, and yet there's no way that they're Christians. They don't believe the same thing that the Bible says about Jesus, right? And so I think it's appropriate. I think it's wise that we ensure whether coming from our own churches or from outside and in other places, we verify, we confirm that these gospel workers have this same confession of faith. Do we serve the same God? Do we share the same confession of faith? Are we trusting in the same Jesus found here in Scripture? Do we believe the same biblical teaching on how one is saved? Those are all really important questions before we can say, yeah, you are a brother in that sense. And notice John Gaius and the brothers have one accord as they walk together in the truth. John's shorthand for summarizing the gospel message in all his letters is the truth, right? And I think that implicit in Gaius's welcoming these brothers is that he welcomes them as brothers, namely that he's made sure that they both hold fast to the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, uh, the fact that they are strangers does not hinder Gaius. The fact that he's never met them they're foreigners, right? They're different. They're other. Doesn't stop him from welcoming. The one uniting thing between Gaius and these brothers is Jesus. He welcomes them because they share their same love for Christ. We too should welcome, practice faithful hospitality, and care for those who bear the name brother. So we should welcome brothers. We should show hospitality. And second, we should send brothers in a manner worthy of God. John says in verse 6, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. He says this to Gaius. And this phrase, you will do well, describes a good fitting action. Sending these brothers on their way to continue their work is a good, right, fitting, proper thing to do. The right thing to do is send the workers out. And I wonder why John points this out. Why does he talk about sending them out? I mean, aren't these guys kind of already sent? Maybe there's another thought in John's mind, or maybe Gaius needs to hear this, that maybe Gaius is tempted to say, hey guys, stay here. Be part of my church, right? Any pastor, listen, any pastor who finds people who are on fire for the Lord and they're eager to share the gospel and they're eager to grow in faith, man, you want them in your church. You have to take 50 of those guys in a second, right? You would love to have those kinds of people in your church, invigorating the life of your church, going out and bringing people in so that we can proclaim the gospel from this church. I pray that at ECC. I pray that we would get more people like that. What a blessing that would be to have people like that around. After all, when we consider the cause of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the darkest places around the globe, reaching those people that, we've never, that have never heard about Jesus, people have to go. 
And I think from here, we need to understand we should send our best. We should send those that we feel like we don't want to leave. We should send those we feel like we can't live without because the mission is urgent. The work is worth whomever we have the best. And we should be willing to send those people. We should be willing to sacrifice even those relationships, that friendship, that life of ministry that was so sweet, and send that worker out to go and do whatever the Lord's called them to do, proclaiming Christ to the nations. That may be what John was thinking. I don't, I don't know, to be honest, but it's one of those principles I'm like, yeah, we should be willing to send our best, and maybe John's encouraging him to do that. I actually think that John's encouragement, though, to Gaius is emphasizing the latter half of verse 6. These brothers have already been traveling around quite a bit. They've already come from an unknown place. They've landed in Gaius' church. Gaius is taking care of them. They go from Gaius' church back to John. John says, man, you guys, you've been taken care of by Gaius. They're like, yeah, let me tell you all about it. And it seems they even go back to Gaius' congregation. I'm not really sure, but at some point they come through, and they're going to continue to travel, doing the gospel work to which they've been called and set apart. John's encouragement is that Gaius send them out in a manner worthy of God. In other words, John is saying, listen, I know they're going to go, and I know that they're going to need help, Gaius. Would you, almost like a slingshot, like as they're moving, you give them more momentum by helping them. You would help them by whatever means they need in a manner worthy of God. God is the one who's ultimately sending these brothers out. So let your care for them, the way that you welcome them, you provide for them, you resource resource them, and ultimately send them, be in such a way that ultimately brings honor to the one calling them to this work. It's ultimately God that you honor in sending these brothers out. And so it is with us, with those missionaries, those gospel workers that we get to come in contact with, when we honor them and when we welcome them and when we send them, we're doing so in a way that we are seeking to honor God. We pray that God would be pleased with our sending out of any missionaries, right? I pray that for you, new life, as you have Moses come this Thursday, that you would care for him. And as he goes back to India, I'm, I'm assuming, that he would be sent back in a way that is in a manner uh, honoring to the Lord right? In a manner worthy of God. So let me ask this question. Take a moment now and ask, why is this even important? Maybe you're sitting there going like, what's with all this care for missionaries? I know this is kind of a rhetorical question because I realize I'm in a church that is well-versed in missions, all right? It's, It's just great to hear all the things that you guys are doing, your care and your prayer for missionaries. But maybe there's one of you sitting there going like, yeah, I'm not on board with all these missions, right? You can raise your hand. I can tell Gareth about you later, okay? So maybe you're just wondering, why do we keep talking about this? There's important work happening in my hometown. If I was back in Spokane, Washington, where I'm from, I'm like, hey, we've got people down the street we got to go reach. Let's not talk about sending people over into these other countries, right? You've, maybe you've heard those people. They draw a dichotomy between, like, local work or let's do things in this church. We've got people who get a disciple. Let's not worry about the nations. Uh, let's get this figured out, and then we'll go. Let's get things sorted out here before we go over there. So why is this so important? It says in verse 7, they have gone out for the sake of the name. 
when these brothers heard the name of Jesus and believed in him, when they heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they went out. The good news of God sending his own son to die on a wooden cross to save a people for himself to ransom sinners from the pit of destruction is too glorious a good news to not go out and tell other people. Jesus is the name of the Savior, our glorious great God, and he has come to rescue us, to save us from our sins. And what better news is that in the whole world? And this is the reason that Christ has come into the world. Humanity's greatest problem was our own sin. And that was solved by Jesus taking the penalty of sin upon himself. Humanity's greatest enemy, Satan, was vanquished, declared dead and defeated by Jesus on the cross to be finally defeated at the end of the age. All of human history revolves around the truth of Christ coming to save his people who were dead in their trespasses. The only thing that matters in this life is the story of redemption, and Jesus is the main player. His name is going to go out throughout the world no matter what, whether we sit on the sidelines or not. And yet he calls us. He says we are to go as his, as people who bear his name. We are to go and spread his name to every place where he is not yet named. So it is for the sake of the name of our glorious Savior that these brothers have gone out. It's the sake of uh, the same name that John has left everything to follow Jesus. It's for the sake of the same name that we gather every Lord's day to worship Him. The Lord has more people whom He means to save. And He has sent His people, the church, as the means by which they will hear the gospel. We have to go. People have to go. The work of missions is going to continue. We will continue to plant churches, to evangelize, to send out gospel workers for the sake of the name. And New Life Church, praise God that you, and hopefully we at ECC, want to do this and are about this work. Hey, we're situated in the middle of the 1040 window. We're in a pretty much benign country when it comes to uh, them being tolerant to Christians, right? And what an opportunity it is to be here to spread the gospel to these various different nations as well as to the nations that are around us here in the UAE. And so this is our work. This is what we're called to do. The work of missions has never stopped. Never stopped. It's always gone on. And I'll be, I'll be honest and say it's never changed. It may have taking place on a flight instead of on an ox cart or whatever they had back then. I can't imagine what traveling was back then. I'll never complain about Etihad or anything else again, but you think about how they moved. It's the same thing. It's people who have gone out for the sake of the name. Okay, so we talked about sharing hospitality with workers, right? In order to care for those, in order to participate in the Great Commission, we want to share hospitality with workers who come. We want to care for them. We want to send out workers in a manner worthy of God. We want to consider how are we also understanding that they should go. And when we have people in our own church. We should raise up our best and we should say goodbye. The Lord will provide whatever you did that was so crucial. He's going to give us another person. You need to go and do what God's called you to do. And finally, we should support them as fellow workers. Verse 8 says, Therefore, 
we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Notice that word ought. This indicates that we have an obligation to, the, to those who are being sent out. John is saying to us that we as churches are obligated to support gospel workers in the work to spread the name of Jesus. So what does that support look like? I think there's a lot of ways of supporting missionaries, workers, right? I think the most clear example in the text is that they need money. It's the most expedient manner of supporting missionaries. In verse 6, John is encouraging Gaius to send them out in a manner worthy of God because in verse 7, they've gone out for the sake of the name. And it says, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, they haven't gone out for the sake of monetary gain. They're not going to the Gentiles, charging 10 dirhams, and then they'll share the gospel with them. It sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. Can you imagine like going, hey, I've got something to tell you. Do you have 10 dirhams? And then I can tell you. It's just insane. But really, back in the ancient world, you, had, you charged for knowledge. There were the sophists who went around and they would say, I'll tell you something new. I'll give you something totally amazing that you won't, you won't be able to believe it. I mean, this is a place there's no internet, so, you know, bear with them a bit, right? And so you pay money and they tell you some bit of wisdom. But instead, these brothers are going and they are freely giving the gospel. Why is that? Because the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is free. It's free in the sense it doesn't cost us anything monetarily. It's free in the sense that it should go freely to everyone. It's not free in the sense that it costs Christ his life, right? So what we mean is there's no price on salvation. You come, you confess, you repent, and Christ is yours. No fee. That's why we laugh when we're talking about like charging people to hear the gospel. Like all we want to do is give this away. We're spending money to get the gospel to go places, right? So just as Christ left heaven and came down and gave up his life freely of his own accord to save sinners like us, so we too go out and freely proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But really, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for the flight? Who's going to pay for the housing and the clothes on your back and the computer you need to do that work of proclaiming the gospel? It still costs money to do those things. Gospel workers still eat food and need to house themselves. And so what does John say? He says to Gaius and his church, support them financially. You ought to support them financially. The church is going to give sacrificially to support the work of the gospel. Let me point out just a few things from this paragraph, I think. People can get really weird when we start talking about money, right? Some assume that money is this evil necessity that we have to live with. Uh, we all maybe come from different backgrounds. I mean, I'm American. Uh, you have a number of different ethnicities here, obviously ECC in this country. We all have different views of money, right? And it can be kind of hairy to talk about. We don't want to bring up money. Can it just, you know, don't talk about what you make. Don't talk about what you spend money on. Like, try to hide those things. And I want to point out here that in this text, the culmination of Apostle John's instructions to Gaius about an opportunity of advancing the kingdom of God is say, pay him. Basically, he says it much more kindly and nicely, but he's like, hey, give them money. Not like, maybe you should pray about 
if the Lord would lead you and you want to support them, you know, it's like, give them money. Give them money. Support them. I think he does it in the right tone. Obviously, I'm not, I'm just kind of pointing it out, but he's saying, support them. Give them money. I remember when I had to raise support to go to Indonesia, and most people I know who've ever had to raise support, they dread uh, spending that time raising support, right? You have to sit in front of people and tell them, please give me money. And, you know, the fear is generally two things. It's like that person's going to think I'm lazy because I'm unwilling to work for the money they're giving me, as if somehow gospel work is not work, right? Or that I'm just greedy. Like, I could be doing a real work, and, uh, but I want your money, right? That's the fear of man that comes into a person's heart when they're raising money, right? Um, but I'm telling you, some of the sweetest times I've ever had was raising support. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, it was like, I think 250 people. Uh, this is all in Minnesota and in Spokane, Washington. You know, I had this, I did gain like 30 pounds because I was taking people out for meals. It was kind of the worst thing for my health, but so encouraged by the number of people who said, yeah, you're telling me you want to go and plant a church, pastor a people, and reach the peoples of Indonesia in the Batam area. I'm behind it. I want to do that. They were willing to jump on board and listen to a young, brand new seminary student who knew nothing. But they gave to me, but they gave also to the Lord. And this brings me to my next point. The, the, this, by supporting these brothers, they become fellow workers with the truth, right? You support these brothers, like Moses, and you're now working with them for this great work of telling people about Jesus. You care about what Moses is doing in India, don't you? You've invested. You're like, I want to return. I want to see a reaping. I want to see a harvest of souls from the gospel going forth in that place. I want to see many people in NYU, Manuel's work of calling people to follow Jesus. I want to see a return. That's good. That's the right thing to do. You want to see that. And many people who supported us during our time in Indonesia, they felt like a special brotherhood to us, right? They were the ones who helped pack our sea chest, if you will. They're the ones who were like there on the shore watching as we go. And they sent it when we got sent out. They would regularly reach out to us saying they're praying for us, asking us how we were doing. They invested in us and they were eager to see us re- uh, a spiritual return in the name of Jesus as we proclaimed him in Indonesia. And notice too that John says this we, right? He says we may be fellow workers in the truth. And you think about that we, that's, that's both John in his church He's talking to Gaius in his church saying that we, oh, wait a minute, it's not just these two people. It's not just Gaius and these brothers. It's actually these two churches supporting these brothers that are going to be knit together and fellow workers for the truth. There's a triangulation going, among, going on among brothers who are sent out and the two churches who support them. I heard the name of another church that you guys prayed for. Sounds like the same thing. You're knit together for that same work. I know, I didn't, I forgot that U.S. support Manuel Nibia. We also support him too. So thankful this brother is here. And so we're knit together and, and we're fellow workers to see the gospel go forth at NYU. It's such an encouragement. And so you may be asking, 
why does it have to be this way? Why would God ordain the advancement of his kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ, to spread through the very inefficient, weak means of having churches be the primary engines, the givers, of both of the people going and the finances given, right? So it's like uh, Gareth and I, he's been in missions longer, he's done more things, been around longer than I have, but we probably could swap stories of all the really bad things that have happened, like the terrible stories of things that went south in missions. That, that happens in church planting, in relationships, because we are fallen human beings. And if it was left up to just us as human beings, it would fail, 100%. If it was left up to only our generosity in terms of it being funded, it would not be funded. There is a supernatural work going on as God gives us what we have and as we give sacrificially. That is the way in which we are bound together as fellow workers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. God meant to do it that way. He didn't give us some special divine gold-plated credit card for every missionary. That'd be kind of cool. If they, every missionary just got a gold credit card and you just go spend whatever you want. Sounds like it'd be amazing, but that's not what God decided in His infinite wisdom. It was going to be through the church, sent from the church, with missionaries cared for by churches. So I think it's clear in this text that He did this so that there would be mutual love, an upbuilding between those who are sent out for the sake of the name and those churches who already bear the name of Jesus. And friends, this, gives, this, this is an amazing opportunity given to us by God to partner with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sent out to tell the name of Jesus to the world. We get to support workers. We get to be fellow workers with other churches who support those workers. Example, Manuel Nibia. And we have the wonderful opportunity to trade very temporary treasure, money, to further the permanent, unfading, imperishable treasure that is the good news of Jesus Christ. So friends, I pray that you, New Life Church, would have ample opportunity to show hospitality, to send in a worthy manner of God, and to support as fellow workers all those whom the Lord has given you to partner with. And I pray that as you do, your own joy in the Lord would abound more and more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, truly your word is sufficient. And in your perfect wisdom, you ordained that your kingdom would be built, that churches would be planted, that the gospel would go forth through incredibly weak, fragile, temperamental, in some ways untrustworthy people like us, New Life Church, ECC. You have put the greatest treasure in the planet, in the galaxy, in the world ever, in jars of clay. I pray, Lord, that as churches we would see this great opportunity between New Life and ECC and other churches to truly support, to send, to be bound together as fellow workers in supporting the gospel going forward. We pray for more opportunities. We pray for an abundance of people who desire to go, people who, who bear the name of brother and seek to proclaim Christ everywhere. 
And as we give, we know that you will meet all our needs. The gospel will go forth. Nothing will hinder it. And in that we trust. We praise you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.